Welcome to the e-commerce podcast with Matt Edmondson, a show that brings you regular interviews, tips and tools for building your business online. Well, hello and welcome to the e-commerce podcast with me, your host, Matt Edmondson. This is a show all about how to grow your online business. Yes, it is. Top tips on how to do digital business, how to do e-commerce. I love the show. I love the fact that every week I get to talk to amazing people from the world of e-commerce and I get to sit down with them uh, for a good chunk of time and ask them all kinds of questions about what they know and how it's going to help us develop our own online businesses. And today is no exception. We are going to learn what it takes to convert our first time visitors. What is that going to look like and how can buyer psychology help us crack this puzzle? And we're going to do all of this uh, with Rishi Rawat, an expert in the field of buyer psychology copywriting. Wow. I mean, that's that's quite an impressive resume, isn't it? I met Rishi a few months ago and became instantly intrigued by his ideas and his thoughts in this whole idea, uh, this whole area of buyer conversion. He's actually approached this in a way that I have never really seen before. And so I'm super excited to be talking to Rishi on this week's podcast. We are going to deep dive into it. So make sure you stick around to the end as we are going to look at this whole thing of buyer conversion. Now, let me give you a quick introduction to Rishi. Then I'll bring him on the show and we are going to get straight into it. Uh, Now, for the last 12 years, Rishi has been probing and experimenting to better understand how shoppers choose in a world filled with more choices than ever. Rishi is the CEO of Frictionless Commerce, uh, which uses copywriting to optimize conversion rates. And he is here with us, like I said, to share some great value, some real high impact lessons on buyer conversions. So grab your notebooks. Of course, if it is safe to do so, you are going to want to take notes. But if you're in the car driving or for whatever reason you can't take notes, you'll be pleased to know that all of the notes from today's show will be available as a free download on our website. So just head on over to ecommercepodcast.net forward slash 54 and you will be able to download them because this is episode number 54. Uh, so that's ecommercepodcast.net forward slash 54 to download the show notes. So all of that said, without any further ado, let's get straight into it, shall we? Let's bring on today's guest uh, and welcome Rishi to the show. I'm just going to push this button here and hopefully as if by magic, here he is. He appears on the screen. Rishi, hey, good evening. Good to see you. Good to see you. That was quite an intro. I'm very excited. Good. I'm pleased. I'm pleased that you're here and I'm I'm looking forward to this conversation. I've been looking forward to this one for a few weeks, Rishi, because, um, because it was really intriguing when we, uh, for those that don't know, when we do these podcasts, we always have a separate call. We always just sort of have a catch up, introduce ourselves and figure out what we're going to talk about. And in our pre-call, you really jumped straight into this whole area of buyer conversion uh, and buyer psychology and just absolutely fascinated me. So tell me a little bit, how have you how have you got into this whole area of buyer psychology and conversion? Yeah, so. it's 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 a really uh, 
I was I was around 16 years old and I was I I was walking into a retail store and I was at the entrance of the store and I was at an in, interesting vantage point where to my right hand side I could see that there was a customer working on one of the aisles trying to decide if they wanted to buy something or not and on the extreme left hand side invisible to the customer was the store owner who was sitting on the cash register and i was i happened to pay attention to the customer and i noticed that they lifted the object they investigated it they put it down they took a step of couple of steps away from it uh, turned away and then they turned away turned again towards it walked up to it again again they investigated it and they put it down and then they walked away and just left the store and they were having this moment of struggle uh clearly they were interested in the said item mm-hmm. and clearly they had some questions in their mind that they were trying to work through themselves and they couldn't solve it and as i kind of looked at the store owner i had this thought which was that at the end of the day the store owner is going to tally up the cash and decide if it's been a good day or a bad day and completely oblivious to this moment of struggle that happened that could have been a potential sale and this how many times has this happened does this happen 100 times a day has this happened 10000 times in the last 5 years and i thought to myself what a wasted metric to focus on the cash register and all of this data is being lost and yeah. you know i i didn't know what to do with this inside i just that's what that scene said i had i had no idea any i didn't know anything about e-commerce i don't even think it was a real thing back then <laughs> um and so this kind of thought this idea virus was in my head i just didn't know didn't know what to do with it and you know circumstances of life unfolded and i found myself in this unique intersection between design and marketing and technology and um i've been pursuing exploring that uh, ever since wow well that's a fascinating story so this guy who was intrigued by something but didn't buy it in a store is sort of kickstarted your whole journey wow and so here we are i mean that was when you were 16 you said right so that was it was more than 2 years ago let's just leave it that way uh but um and so you've been pursuing biopsychology ever since uh and you've you've been getting into that so let's define what you mean when you use the phrase biopsychology what is that yeah i mean biopsychology is i would say a curious a scientific curiosity into understanding how consumers make purchase decisions and it's that's what i would leave it at it's just it's 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 a it's an interest in unpacking the human brain i don't think there's anyone who's ever been able to unpack it nor do i think we'll be able to ever unpack it completely but there are certain fragments of decision science when it comes to consumer products that we do have a pretty good handle on mm-hmm. um so i would just say biopsychology is from a marketing perspective is the quest to understand how decisions get made okay so you use this phrase um decision science Uh, which I think is quite an interesting phrase. So let's unpack that a little bit more. What do you mean by that phrase? Well, to me, and and I don't know what the classical definition is, and I'm thinking about decision science from the perspective of de- the science of making decisions, which I think is a distinction from decision science. Um, so I define science of making decisions as when a consumer 
is interacting with a stimulus, whether that stimulus is uh, an ad in a newspaper or a TV commercial or a physical product, what what trick what 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 sequence of triggers are happening in their in their mind? And I'm looking at it specifically from the perspective of them making a purchase, not opinions. It's mm-hmm. like you know what triggers are can we triangulate around as marketers to say okay these sequence of events lead to a purchase so let's have our advertising do more of that yeah okay so a sequence of events i like i'm just writing notes here if people are looking at me on the video going why does he keep looking down genuinely i'm a <laughs> pen and paper still it's the way of the future uh, and i'm writing notes down as as we go along so um, it's one of the phrases you used right at the start about this chap that was picking up the, the, the thing in the, in the supermarket, um, which I, I've noted down here. I, I really like this. This sort of moment of struggle is, was had the phrase that you used, this sort of internal debate. Do I buy this? Do I not buy it? There's obviously a bunch of questions going through their head to try and figure out yes or no. That's the, you know, the binary decision that they're going to come to. Um, and they're obviously having this internal bait, this, this internal struggle. Are there some common things that people struggle with that we as e-commerce store owners should think about and should be aware of? Yeah, I mean, this is the thing I've uh, spent the last, um, I would say, the last 12 years investigating and the last five years investigating through rigorous science. Okay. Um, and what we've identified is, and again, I want to be very clear about this. The human brain is more complicated in many ways than the universe itself. So I'm not going to pretend like I understand the inner workings of how the brain works. We're talking about in very specific circumstances. We're talking about how decisions may get made around consumer products, how, you know, and, and what are some of the variables involved? Uh, I recognize that there are, probably a million variables and there is uh it's there is a situational variance from consumer to consumer so i don't think we can generalize but what we can say is that and this is the thing about marketing is that when you think about marketing at scale you need to identify the common variables so we do understand there's nuance here we understand there's variability here as well but we want to find some of those basic drivers and what we've identified through rigorous testing is that there are nine principal drivers okay that uh take the consumer from, you know, being interested in something. So we're looking at post engagement uh, to purchase. Mm -hmm. And there are nine specific variables that um, come into play in various degrees. And depending on what the product is, some variables may be um, dormant and other variables may be, um, um, you know, may play a a dominant role. Um, So those there are nine specific variables. Okay. And can you share what they are? Yeah, I, I absolutely can. So the first the first variable is too good to be true. And basically that is our defense mechanism for essentially being swindled. And okay. we are <laughs> we are constantly we are constantly um, making sure that we don't get screwed over. Mm-hmm. And and let's also let's before we get into that even, let's kind of step back and understand what the Let's understand what the broader context is here for why why these things even matter. So every this year, your viewers would be very interested in knowing uh, it's a it's a sad fact for an e-commerce business, but it's reality. Every year, twenty thousand new consumer products are launched, ninety eight percent of which totally fail. 
So imagine we have 20,000 new businesses every year thinking they have, they've invented the best product in the world, taking all of their budget and spending it on advertising. Imagine what the consumer is going through. I think I saw a study at some point, um, and it's hard to actually quantify scientifically how many ads people are exposed to, but there is there is a basic study that says around 5,000 ads a day wow. uh, consumers are exposed to. Wow. So, yeah. So our brains simply have not evolved to process information in that magnitude. And so what happens is that there are these autumn, these are instinctive systems that kick in and the, the, the consumer, you and I, is not even actively aware of, it's not like the brain is saying yes, no, 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 yes, yes, no, yes. I don't even hear that chatter. There's chatter going on, but at a very subconscious level, 98%, 99% of the garbage that's coming my way is being conveniently deleted by the brain. Mm -hmm. And so there is this, there is this um, subconscious mechanism that is happening all the time, which we call the system one mode. Um, and it is basically helping us manage um, navigate life you know if you're driving a car and if you start taking in all the stimuli that's outside in the world you will have a crash in the next four seconds yeah so our brains have evolved to say hey i'm going to shut off all of this external stimuli um and so in that context we have those nine nine uh, nine triggers and okay. the first one is too good to be true it's, it's a defense mechanism all of these triggers are self-survival i mean ultimately it's let's keep in let's keep in mind that it's not like modern marketers have, have created this brain response. We're talking about something, you know, hu modern human beings uh, emerged 200,000 years ago in, in sub-Saharan Africa. We've, we've, these mechanisms have been, um, being, have been evol evolving since then. So all of this that I'm talking about, this too good to be true, essentially, the, as far as the brain is concerned, um, is nothing to do with consumer products. It's it's you know when you're looking for water supply mm -hmm. and you you know and you sense that there's a there's a safe water supply, and if you're wrong, you're dead. Yeah, yeah. And so you <laughs> it's know, important to be skeptical. Is, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the too good to be true is you know our brains way of saying you know hey you've made bad choices before yeah. I don't want to die. <laughs> which is, uh, is important when it comes to consumer products, I feel, especially some of them you can buy on the web. Okay, so the first That's one, right. too good to be true. This, um, this idea that the brain is, is, is actually naturally skeptical about things. Um, and it, <clears throat> it takes some convincing. It takes, you know, some, some help to, to convince them. Um, and so you, you've said this is the first one. Is this the actual starting point that we should think about as marketers? We should actually start right here at this point, point number one, which says, okay, people are going to be naturally skeptical. Their brains are going to automatically default to think there is an element of too good to be true here. We don't want to get screwed over. We don't want to die from drinking the wrong water choice here. We've, we've, we need to examine this a little bit more. And is that, so that's the default sort of starting position that people come into our website are in. Um, that's really good. Okay. Have I got that right so far? You, you, you do. I mean, you know, just to give some context and I don't want to overwhelm your audience with, um, with, with unnecessary detail. I think it's completely fine to start here. Uh, but just keep in mind that the, the, the story does start a little, it's almost like, you know, um, it's almost like the, 
Old Testament and New Testament in the Bible analogy. So there is more to the story. Um, but but I, I feel, again, you know, speaking of cognitive load, if I were to like just talk about everything that we've figured out or we've explored in the last 12 years, it would be very uninteresting. I think it's <laughs> it's okay for us to stick to the nine stick to the nine okay. uh, the nine uh, criteria and then if someone's really interested they can reach out to me and i can you know i can talk to them about the whole picture sure. but uh, this would be a great place to start great okay so number one too good to be true uh the the sort of the natural state of skepticism of the brain um so what's yeah. what what where do we go to from there so so again i should just mention that these are not on a hierarchy of like do step one first step two first i think it's okay. all situational so if you are selling a product for example let's say you're a retailer and you're deep discounting for you too good to be true for your consumers too good to be true would play a pretty important role mm-hmm. um if you are selling a premium product i you know maybe the efficacy of the product is the too good to be true aspect but maybe you don't even have a too maybe the, your product isn't really something that warrants a too good to be true response so mm-hmm. i don't look at them as a hierarchy okay. i look at them situationally yep. um but it is one of the triggers that we need to as marketers be aware of and write copy to combat. Yeah, and I like what you said there. It's not just about your, um, like if you're deep discounting, the too good to be true thing is gonna be about the the value of your offer. You know, 60% off, what's that all about? Um, right. So, uh, and I'm, I'm your worst skeptic. As soon as it's over like 30%, I'm like, this is a con, something's not right. Um, so I, I get that. And I like what you said about premium products, which aren't dis- discounted, but actually, are they worth it? Are they are they worth this this premium price, the efficacy of it? So um, so actually what we've got to do, uh, if I'm hearing you right here, Rishi, is as business owners, we've got to sit back and look at um, our products and ask ourselves, what about our offering, whether it's, you know, the price, the offer, whatever it is, what of that is going to fall into this idea of being too good to be true, Right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And it's not even just the price. It's even the way we are telling our story. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's happening is every word, words get converted into information and energy. And the consumer is subconsciously translating that energy to mean, uh, is this word trustworthy or not? So even the language you use, even the pace with which you are writing your copy um, the cadence of the copy, all of these things uh, can, can can kind of play a play a role. Um, so so yes. Okay, okay, I'm I'm with you so far, but so what's the uh, what's the what what's number two? I appreciate this is not a hierarchy, but this is uh, what's the second one? Find expertise sexy. Find expertise sexy. We are drawn to experts. You know, um, I the great the the best example of this is. When we go to the doctor, we completely submit to what the doctor is saying. We don't have a, you know, we don't uh, have a dialogue with the doctor effectively. If the doctor says that this is the, the treatment that I've prescribed for you, 98% of people will just get that treatment and that's what it is. And so um, that is also a mechanism through which the brain makes sense of the world. What are the experts doing? How, 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 is the, how are the smartest people in my herd dealing with this uncertainty and then you kind of triangulate towards that and mm-hmm. and probabilistically it's actually a, a very good strategy and so from a marketing perspective what ha- what i mean by this is that the copywriter the marketer has to through words and through energy 
has to communicate to the reader that I know you are dealing with anxiety about this decision. And I know that there is uncertainty in your mind about if this product will work the way it sh that you that we're promising it will. I want you not to look at me as a marketer, but to look at me as a trusted friend mm -hmm. who is recommending this product to you because I truly believe based on your use case, the way you use products, this is going to give you the outcome you're looking for. Wow, okay. So how do we do that without sounding pretentious? Do you know what I mean? Like it's when you, there's this fine line, isn't there? When you come across as an expert as being actually someone like who is a trusted friend. And then there's someone who goes, you know, I'm, you know, I, I'm the best thing since sliced bread. And I, I can actually get turned off a little bit like that. So how do we, how do we manage that on our own, in our own sites? That's a, that's a really good point, actually. And so one, that's one of the things that we extract we do this process of interrogating our clients, um, which are typically inventors, and they've invented a consumer product. And so what, we, what the consumer is seeing is the finished product. They're actually not seeing the struggle and the expertise that went into crafting this product. Now, I'll give you a great example. One of my clients um, sells a, a, a sheet of metal, a steel, that is used to bake the most delicious pizza in the world and they are extremely successful and they are you know and this the, their success is a validation of the fact that what he's invented is 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 an is an incredibly effective method to build a very unique kind of pizza where the outer crust is crunchy and the inner crust inner part is soft and gooey uh, mm -hmm. soft um but the thing is that that piece of metal uh, it's called baking steel, is 7 mm thick. And it was just a simple fact on the website. And so I interrogated the client and I said, why is it 7 millimeters thick? He said, well, actually we tried 6 millimeters, we tried 8 millimeters, we tried all of these different combinations and we discovered through permutation and combination and by actually baking pizza using those thickness that 7 millimeter was the, producing the best outcome. So I wrote copy around that on the product page. I'm positioning us as being an expert in knowing the right thickness to use for a sheet of metal. That's fascinating. <laughs> That's fa and I love that. And it's it's a bit like um, so. You what? I guess if I'm just bringing it back here, what we're doing here is showing expertise without being pretentious. And it's like, oh no, we tried this, and we tried, and this is kind of, and we're telling the story of how we've ended it ended up. And it's like. Um, one of the things that I've seen work very well, uh, like I, uh, you go onto a website and they sell shoes, leather shoes. And what they do is they show you a video of how they handcraft these shoes, right? Not we're the best shoemakers in the world. This is just how we, and you look at the, uh, the effort and you kind of go, oh, okay, well, that's worth, you know, the extra money that you're going to be charging for on the site. Just with that simple video, that simple demonstration of expertise, is that, is that the kind? Have I, have I got that right? That's the kind of thing we're talking You've about. You've nailed here. it. You're, you're my favorite student. <laughs> awesome. Love that. Love that. As long as I'm the favorite, I'm the main one. That's cool. Uh, so that's the um, find expertise sexy. I like that phrase, uh, Rishi. That's cool. So num uh, what's what's part three of this? The third. The third one is root for people who overcome the odds or who beat the odds. Okay. 
we all love a hero story we all love david versus goliath we yeah. want to spend our dollar we we use our dollars to cast a vote for what we believe in so when you're selling a, a bomb for uh, a, a beard bomb the consumer who also happens to have a beard is spending their hard earned dollars to say i support what you're doing i want more people to appreciate the lifestyle of having a beard for example i'm making this up completely mm-hmm. but it's a vote a dollar is a vote or a pound is a vote and so uh, we how do we how do consumers decide who they're going to bet on so they want to bet on someone they want to bet on the winner but mm-hmm. they want to bet on a winner that has overcome the odds you know so we don't want to like just bet on someone who you know hey i just struck lucky and i found the right product and just give me all your money <laughs> we want to we want to support the person who says I got the crap kicked out of me by through life and mm-hmm. I failed and I kept on iterating and then I one day the clouds parted and I figured out how to do it and here's what I discovered we we like those stories you know mm-hmm. um and so and this is the reason why I was saying that um not all of these nine triggers have to apply to every scenario sure. like this is a very specific story arc and it yeah. may not be consistent with your reality so you won't use it but it is a story arc available it's almost like there's a slot available in the consumer's mind uh, but it may not apply to your product yeah now that's very very true now does this extend beyond i guess the owner i'm just thinking here i wear on my wrist i can't remember the name of it there's a certain type of band here that's and the and the, the 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 band is made by recycled plastic and the metal clip on it um is made from and this is what fascinated me this is made from seized guns that were melted down and repurposed to the, so this this thing here this metal clasp has a story which kind of makes me feel good you know it's a decommissioned weapon which is now off the street is that is that a in my head, I'm kind of thinking, well, is this a case of the product itself has, has sort of overcome the odds? The product itself has gone from, um, you know, being something awful and has overcome these incredible odds and now is on, you know, is part of the, the, the story as well. Um, that's a great, that's a great, really fascinating observation. And I'm, I'm pretty sure, so one of the things I should also mention is that these nine triggers think of them as first cousins they kind of share a lot of dna yeah yeah uh, so there's there's a, there's a there, there is commonality between them so it's sometimes it's hard to actually categorize them uh, perfectly um i'm trying to think i'm and i'm i'm going to draw a blank on this but i'm trying to think about what you're describing we would just describe what you've done as so we call these product story angles so you've okay. identified a version of the story and i think that's such a beautiful story by the way and i hope that that's what you know i mean that's that's really really fascinating yeah i i don't know how it would sometimes product story angles fit into a tactic but sometimes product story angles encompass a whole bunch of tactics so this mm-hmm. could be a clustering of maybe like two or three different uh triggers as well okay okay i'm i'm rishi let me tell you i'm loving this conversation so we've got too good to be true uh find uh, ex, uh find expertise that can't read my own writing find expertise sexy um and number three uh the third uh trigger you talked about is root for people 
who overcome the odds. We like the people that sort of overcome insurmountable odds. Now, listen, if you're watching the live stream or if you're listening to the audio podcast, don't go anywhere. We are just going to take a quick moment to thank this week's show sponsors. And we are going to be back in the second part for the other six triggers. I can't wait. Don't go anywhere. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back very, very soon. Let me give a big shout out to one of our show sponsors, Curious Digital. You know what? I love its flexibility. It's such a great platform. You know how when you start out, you might typically use an online platform because they're cheap, they're easy to use, super accessible. But you know what? They aren't that flexible. And as your business grows, you end up moving to an agency, right? because that's just what you do. And at some point, you're going to have this nightmare to deal with, and it can be incredibly expensive. And the thing for me that I love about KD is it will grow with you. You can start out on the platform easily, and as your business grows, then KD will adapt with you. Now, I don't know of any other platform that does all of that. So if you're in the market for a new e-commerce platform, make sure you follow the links from mattedmondson.com. Take advantage of the offers that they've got for you and uh, let me know what you think. Okay, I am with Rishi. We are talking about nine triggers to do with biopsychology and how to convert our first-time visitors now, we have gone through the first three. Rishi, what is number four? I'm, I'm, I've got my note re notebook ready. I'm, I'm, I'm taking notes, brother. So let's, uh, let's get into number four. Uh, the fourth one is uh, fascinated by surprising details. Okay. And this one basically is that uh, we, are, we are junkies for new information. We collect new information. And so... When you are selling your product, if you can, if you can encapsulate in that selling process some surprising details. For example, if you are selling, um, if you are selling a, a product that uh, blends uh, smoothies, for example, if you can inject in that storytelling some really interesting details about the benefits of a smoothie, something that people won't know, um, that what what surprising details do, it's, very, it's actually very interesting. It's actually an indirect benefit. What it does is it, it acts as an energy boost. Um, so, you know, think about, think, about think, think about conversations you have with people when people share interesting data points. I'll, like I'll share an interesting data point. There was a study that was done of 130 million e-commerce sessions and they found that the average session duration for an e-commerce website is three minutes and 57 uh, three minutes and 27 seconds mm -hmm. it's a really interesting curious detail and i can guarantee you that most people listening to this will remember that because it's such a fascinating tidbit and what it does is it, it actually adds a little bit of energy boost to the conversation. So yeah. I use interesting details, especially when we're writing long form copy. Um, I look at it as, uh, you know, it's, it, it's taking energy away from the reader to some extent because they're, you know, people have low attention spans. So when you inject in some interesting details, you're giving the reader a boost of energy and it's a branded boost of energy because you're giving an interesting detail, not about some random uh, fact, but a fact that relates to, in some way, to what your product is doing. So 
that is something we like to do a lot because it it my job as a copywriter is to make sure that the consumer has read my entire sales page not mm-hmm. just the start of it not just the middle of it but the whole sales page so i need to use interesting details to keep them interested and you know the if they've read the whole sales page there's a statistically high probability that they'll buy from me yeah okay uh, so f- uh, fascinated by surprise and details. I was actually fascinated when you said that. I mean, it was kind of proof was in the pudding, right? Uh, and if you're like me listening to it, you're surprised by, fa- uh, you know, fascinated by surprise and details. I was kind of like, okay, well, I'm actually fascinated by this surprise and detail. So <laughs> that, was, that was great. Okay, uh, number five. Um, we are visual animals. 50% of our brain is devoted to uh, processing inform- uh, information, visual information. I was um, in a, I was in a hotel a couple of years ago, and you know how hotels are trying really hard. I know you're an eco-minded person, so hotels are trying really hard to have, to not have guests just throw their towels after the first use for laundry because that's very, you know, uh, ecologically, you know, it's not, it's not a good outcome. And so they had a little card that was in the in the in the restroom, in the toilet, in the bathroom that said that. Um, in the last year, from the water that we've saved by having guests not throw their towels in for a wash, you can fill 13 Olympic pools oh, wow. of water. And the moment I read that, I, in my mind, I saw 13 Olympic pools. Now, yeah. I have no idea how big an Olympic pool is, but I'm imagining a crap ton of water. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it just, it, it just instantly, even though I wasn't, intending for it to happen it, it just turned into a visual mm-hmm. and the visual stuck with me i'm telling that visual to you right now so you know visuals are super powerful so how do we incorporate them into our storytelling mm-hmm. and there are a bunch of things here as well there, there are a couple of types of visuals there's the contrast visual so you can use a visual to kind of contrast what you're saying against something else you can use a visual as an analogy. So sometimes, like, for example, if we're trying to show some, we're talking about a feature, we can use a visual that shows maybe if we're talking about balance, this probiotic helps balance the good bacteria and the bad bacteria, we can have a visual of a bird that's walking on a, on a, on a, on a ledge and the bird is kind of tipping over and you can have copy that says, you know, it's like the bird is trying to balance. And so you're, yeah. using, you're using an analogy to kind of reinforce that same point. And then, of course, visuals can also be used to visually communicate um, an attribute, an, an, you know, a, a feature that was not, um, you know, that that was not mentioned visually. So, visuals are very powerful, and those are the three ways in which you use it. Yeah. Okay. That's really, really good. Does the um, I guess the thing that I'm thinking here, the the you know, you're talking about the 13 Olympic swimming pools. The immediate example that comes to my mind. And I'm curious if this is the same sort of thing was when the iPod first came out and Steve Jobs said it's 10,000 songs in your pockets rather than two gigs or whatever, you know, everyone else was saying. Um, he took a he took a meaningless piece of information and all of a sudden I can I can understand what 10,000 pockets in my. Yes. means. Do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm seeing what that what that is. Is that right? Have I got that? That's- you nailed it. He created a, co- and he used a contrast, right? So he said 10,000 songs and he said pocket. So we know how big a pocket is. We know mm-hmm. how much, how much 10,000 is and it creates this contrast. Yeah. Like, how is that possible? Uh, especially when yeah. I grew up with cassettes and CDs and you know, how, 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 how does that work, Steve? Um, so yeah, it was, it was, 
it's, it was one of those brilliant lines of marketing, wasn't it? That you just kind of thought it is. It is. It is a classic, and we actually use it. And we we talk about it as well. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So trigger number six. Uh, people need motivation to break habit. Um, okay. One of the you know it, this is one of the biggest mistakes that marketers make is that when we are telling our story, we are so focused on how our product is better than the competition. What we don't realize is that we're not actually competing against the competition. We're competing against non-consumption. So in the case of the, the band that you're wearing in your hand, um, they're not competing against other companies that also make bands that are made of uh, decommissioned guns. Mm -hmm. They're competing against the consumer saying, I think this is really interesting, but I don't really know if I need it. Mm -hmm. That's really fascinating. We're not, com our competition is, is not what we think. It, we're actually competing against non-consumption. Non-consumption. I like that. That's cool. How does that work then? Um, how does that work? I get that that works for a unique product, like say this band. Um, but let's say, um, I'm just looking around my desk here. So let's say oh, I've, I've got my Lego Indiana Jones. Look, it's, he's kind of cool. Uh, he's, he sits on my desk. But let's say I'm a website which sells this product and there's 12 other websites which sell the same product. Um, they're still my competitors, but am I still, I'm still competing uh, with non-consumption. Is that right? You are still, you are still competing against non-consumption. I see the point you're trying to make here. Um, I, I'm, I think marketers do a fairly good job of contrasting what they have against other other mm -hmm. um, other websites. Yeah. Um, but they, they then they leave this gaping hole. And part of what we're trying to do with these nine triggers is we're trying to highlight tactics that are not being utilized. We're mm -hmm. not saying these are the only tactics. We're saying that there are many tactics that marketers do a pretty good job with. So talking about what our product does in relation to the competition, we actually do a fairly good job with it, but we don't actually talk about it against non-consumption. Yeah. Also, we don't talk about it in, 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 um, uh, in contrast to workarounds. So imagine if you are, I was on a bike website, uh, they, they sell these regular cycles, you know, that you can buy and you can, you can uh, ride a cycle for, for good health. Um, and they were talking about how they're, how their bike was incredible, but they didn't really think about, first of all, they didn't think about non-consumption, but there's also this idea of workarounds. Mm -hmm. Imagine if, if I'm a consumer, I'm buying a bike because I want to be healthy. So I can buy a bike and I can be healthy that way, but I can also run on my treadmill. That is a workaround for yeah. buying a bike. Yeah. Right. So they could have written copy that says that if you are, you know, the treadmills are awesome, but Science, you know, science has proven that on a long-term basis, they can add a lot of pressure to your knees, yeah. which you don't have when you ride a bike. So you've actually already made the enemy and you've destroyed the enemy. Um, and you, and you, you know, that's the workaround. So we're competing against that workaround. So, okay. Okay. Now, um, turning the page here, number seven, what's our seventh trigger? Um, so number seven is we love personalized experiences. So when a consumer is buying something, no matter what they're buying, they like to know that that experience that they're being sold to in a personalized way. Um, so, you know, the, the great analogy of this is like when you go to a sales, when you, when you're on the, on the, on the, 
when you're buying a retail store, the salesperson is engaging you in a conversation and then he, he reflects back to you a story that is based on the data you just gave him, you know, or her, right? Uh, so it's a personalized experience and we, have, we, we fall for it every time. So if you can personalize stuff, um, it, it just has this amazing of, uh, ability uh, to, um, you know, to really connect with the, and it works at a subconscious level. So that's, that's uh, point number seven. Yeah, and I've seen that work very, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not trying to be an Apple fanboy here. One of the, the example that sticks out in my head was, I remember um, taking my team into the Apple shop because I wanted them to understand this point. I'm like, I want you to watch that guy over there, right? And what was going on was there was a sales rep for Apple and this, this elderly gentleman came in uh, and just said to the guy, I, I need to buy an iPad. And so that guy says, we need to go and talk to Johnny over there. Go stand there and I'll let Johnny know and he'll come talk to you. Um, he's our iPad expert. And Johnny comes over, doesn't talk about the iPad under any circumstances. He just says, why, why, why do you want an iPad? And um, this elderly gentleman says, and I, we stood there listening to him, stood just ears dropping on the conversation. He said, because I want to be able to do that thing, you know, uh, whatever they call it, where I can call my grandchildren and see them. In other words, he wanted to be able to FaceTime his grandkids, right? And he, he just wanted to be able to do that. So this guy, the sales guy, then says, let me show you how easy it is to do that, right? And he goes and stands on one side of the store with an iPad. And he says, when it rings, just press that button there. And he calls the guy and they have this video conversation across the store. It takes like 20 seconds. And then the old, he says, now you try it. And he gets the elderly guy to, to, to call him, right? He was literally there for four minutes and bought this iPad. This guy didn't talk once about how to do email. He didn't talk once about processor speeds or any of that sort of stuff. He just laser focused in on this personalized experience. And it was honestly, it was magical to see. And that guy is, um, has, yeah, that's, that's a wonderful story. That's, that's exactly right. That's exactly what we want to do. One of the things, you know, this is some, one of the questions that someone's going to have um, as they're listening to this is they'll say, well, I can understand how a human being in a human to human circumstance can personalize a story. How do I do it on my product page? I mean, how do I, how do I personalize a story based on who the visitor is? And actually you can absolutely do it. And we have tons of evidence, uh, lots of test evidence around it. I'll give you guys one example. Okay. Um, so we were working for a client that sells a room air purifier for $900, pretty expensive item. It's a high consideration item. So people don't just randomly buy an air purifier. Um, and the buying cycle is relatively long. And one of the things that we discovered in our, um, in our research was that, Hey, look, this is a pretty technical product and there's so many technical details that we need to talk about. In fact, the product page already was talking about a lot of technical details, but we realized that not just like that older gentleman in the Apple store, they, the consumer actually, that a certain buyer may actually not need that much detail. They mm -hmm. may just want a quick summary. And now the question was, how do we, what should the product page be for? Should it be for the majority? Or should it be for the, the 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 group that spends the most? And so we did we did a test, and in our test, there's a when you get to the product page, there's an opening intro for what the product does. So at least everyone is oriented about what the product does. And then right below that, it asks a simple question: How much time do you have today? And there were two buttons: I have two minutes, and I have time. Mm -hmm. 
And the way we designed it was that if someone is a methodical shopper and they want to consume all the details, they're going to click on I have time. And if someone basically doesn't want all those details, they're going to click on I want to, I have two minutes. Mm -hmm. And when you click on I, I have two minutes, we showed you the elevator pitch of our sales pitch. And when you clicked on I have time, we showed you everything. We threw everything at the wall. Wow. And we noticed overall, there was a 30% improvement in purchase rates for their already best-selling air purifier oh, wow. by simply giving consumers these two choices. Wow. A 30% increase in conversion. <laughs> that's ridiculous. That's, that's incredible. That's incredible. Um, okay. So let's, let's talk about the eighth trigger. Uh, they like knowing they've stumbled on something rare. They like nobody likes to buy a, nobody okay knowing they've stumbled on something rare yep so no no nobody wants to buy a commodity even though you are buying a commodity you don't want to feel like you're buying a commodity so we want to buy something that is that not everyone has access to it's like an exclusive club you know part of the reason why certain restaurants are so popular is because it's hard to get into them yeah um and so how do we convey that again this is something that doesn't apply to every single brand but it is something that marketers do not such a good job with Okay. That, that, that's really and, interesting. So how would you, how would you do that on an e-commerce website for your product? How would you convey that, that kind of exclusivity, that rarity? So it's a, it's a, so I'll give you a great example. Um, so imagine if you are selling organic premium dog food, the, if I was working for a client that was selling organic premium dog food, I would write copy that says 1% of dog owners give their dogs premium dog food or organic premium dog food. So you're basically conveying that this is exclu it's essentially we're, ex we're exploiting exclusivity. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the reader feels that I found something that not everyone has access to. Um, and then it, it just, it just draws them in. So it's, 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 it's a trigger. I won't say it's none of, none of these tactics by themselves are going to take the consumer from I'm interested. I'm going to buy but as a as a whole set, as an orchestra, they can they can they can do wonders. That's fantastic. I like that. So we like knowing we've stumbled on something rare. So what's the final trigger, Rishi? Um, must overcome their negative thoughts. Okay. That's kind of self-explanatory. But is yeah. this different I mean, from the first one, which is which talks about their skepticism? How do these two differ? They're actually diametrically opposite. So too good to be true is too positive mm -hmm. and must overcome negative thoughts is negative. So if, for example, you sell a product and your shipping is $17.95, that instantly creates a negative thought in my mind because it's like, I don't want to be spending $17.95 for shipping. Mm -hmm. So now you have to build a story around it and explain why that is, you know, is the, is, is, is worth it. So mm -hmm. It's a negative thought. It's not too good to be true. It's a negative thought. Okay. And I like how you've sort of bookended your nine with these two diametrically opposed sort of things. <laughs> That's brilliant. So we've got a, I'm just going to recap here. Okay. So we've got our nine elements, too good to be true. Uh, number two, find uh, expertise sexy. Number three, uh, we, we like people who have overcome the odds. Uh, number four, we're fascinated by surprising details. Number five, we are visual animals. Number six, um, people need motivation to break their current habits. 
Number seven, we love a personal experience. Uh, number eight, uh, we like knowing that we've stumbled on something rare. And number nine, uh, we've got to overcome the negative thoughts in the person's mind. And so those are nine sort of uh, triggers, nine sort of tactics that we can use in our copy. How, let, let's bring all this back together. And thank you for sharing that, by the way. That was, that was just pure gold. Um, what, is, what has this got to do, these sort of nine areas? I'm sort of listening to this thinking this is all great. And at the start of the show, we talked about um, how we're going to convert our first time buyer. And I remember when we talked in our pre-call about you have this this sort of um, this drive to focus on the first time buyer. It's like, you know, you talked about the importance of uh, focusing on the first time buyer. So can you bring these nine elements together for us? In context of a first time buyer, maybe a few examples, a few stories. Uh, absolutely. So there's a, th let me start off with some interesting data for your, for your viewers. Um, there was a survey done by Databox, and they found that 68% of all visitors on an e-commerce website are brand new. Mm -hmm. So it's very likely that all of your listeners have an overwhelming number of people that have visited their website for the very first time and statistically speaking, will never come back. Mm -hmm. And so this is the biggest group of people that are on our website. And one of the challenges with marketing is there are, there are four principal areas of marketing. There is um, converting first-time buyers. There is up increasing average order value. Mm -hmm. Reactivations, which is converting someone who, is who bought from us two years ago but hasn't bought since. Mm -hmm. There is... Um, you know, subscription selling. So, you know, getting people on a subscription plan and there is word of mouth marketing. So these are like five principal areas of marketing. And typically what teams do is they divide their attention across these five silos. And my recommendation is considering the fact that 68% of people are completely new to our website and will never come back again, majority of which will never come back again, why focus on these other things? Why not laser focus on converting first-time buyers? Mm. Typically for websites, their first-time buyer rate is conversion rate is no more than 4%. Mm -hmm. So we have an atrociously low conversion rate. So it just makes sense to focus on converting more first-time buyers. And, and this is something that is really interesting is that if you can improve your conversion rate for first-time buyers, you're actually improving all of the other metrics as well, because they're all related. So if you can yeah. improve someone, if you can get someone to buy for the first time, they are way more likely to do word of mouth marketing for you. Yeah, they're yeah. way more likely yeah. to be a subscription, you know, so that's the reason why I focus in on first time buyers. Okay. Well, that makes a lot of sense. So 96%, <laughs> that's a big portion of, uh, of the whole thing. So, um, so how can we, where do we start, I suppose, with these nine elements that you've talked about and how we engage um, first-time buyers. If I'm sat there looking at my website, um, I like what you said, Rishi, but help me distill it down. Where do I start? Do you know what I mean? I'm looking at the website. I've got 400 pages on it. Where do I start? What do I do? Okay. So um, first of all, we, I mean, obviously this depends on how broad your and the depth of your product line and depends on a whole bunch of things. But I would say that if I'm working for a client where they have um, 
10 different products and there is one product i would focus on the best seller first of all okay. so that's that's the center of gravity for me so i would look at two specific metrics i would look at what is the revenue that the best seller is driving because if we were looking to improve numbers by 20%. So we want to, we want to focus our energy where we get the highest bang for our buck. Um, so the best seller is a place to start because that's where you're selling the most of. But then I would also look at what is the visibility of my best seller? You know, this is a very startling going back to point number five, surprising details. I'll share with your readers, something viewers, something really interesting, mm. which is that, and I've seen this 500 times to know that this is a statistical certainty is that what we find is that we look at the revenue contribution of a bestseller on e-commerce website, which of course all your, all your listeners probably do as well. Then we also look at the visibility of that bestseller. So we look at the discovery rate for that bestseller page. So let's say the bestseller is driving 27% of overall sales. Mm -hmm. You would expect you would want 27% of site visitors to have discovered this bestseller because it would, you want it to be synchronized with the visit number and the revenue number. What we will find is that the discovery rate for that bestseller in nine times out of 10 is 18%, 17%. Okay. So you have this huge delta between discovery and purchase. So the first thing I would do is I would create parity and make sure that more people discover my bestseller. Um, so simple things like that. And so, you know, that would help a uh, first-time buyer anyway, because uh, most first-time buyers would probably want to buy the most popular item. Mm -hmm. And but if, we, if, they don't, if they don't even discover it, that's a point of friction right there. So that's something that they can do, you know, as a starting point, they can say, okay, what's our bestseller? How many people are discovering it? Let's create a mechanism to get more people to discover our bestseller. That's absolutely gold advice right there. So how would you, what are some of the ways that maybe I could do that? Um, simple ways that I could help help make the product more discoverable. So that's a, that's a, we have a very specific formula for this. So what we do is we set a cookie and when a user comes to the website and they've seen three pages, so we trigger the cookie, we trigger the, 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 the element on page three. And when they go to page three and we exclude the bestseller page from this. So if they've gone to the bestseller page in the first three pages, then they're excluded from the experiment. But if they okay. haven't, we then show them a floating tab that is a nudge that simply says, have you seen, we have a lot of products, but have you seen our bestseller or some, some variation of that copy? And invariably people will click on it and they will discover your bestseller. And that, that directly um, improves revenue of bestsellers. Wow. And I'm, I'm intrigued. Uh, I'm, I, I, I feel like you've opened a door here and I'm, I'm going to walk straight through it. Why wait until the third page before you show that tab? <laughs> Um, just, I, I, I don't think that, I don't think we've tested different variations of this. Um, we just, we just thought logically that, you know, Hey, listen, let, let me, okay. So, so one of the things that we were thinking about was we want the user to start getting engaged with the website. The thing is, if you discuss, if you take the, if you take them to the bestseller too soon, so like if they just land on the website and you're like, okay, see my best-selling product, they haven't even properly oriented themselves yet. Mm -hmm. And, and, and they will feel like you're being heavy handed, right? So we mm -hmm. want to be subtle about it. And then show them a little nudge once they're once they've signaled to us that they're engaged with what we're saying okay okay so this is something that um actually i'm cu I'm, I'm curious to see what the results are when you test that cookie on various different uh, view links um so okay so we're, we're we're helping to be more discoverable and then you said you say so you're going to focus in on the product page so we're going to make the product page more discoverable what's something that we could do maybe with the product page so 
So and again, I I just really I really hope that viewers aren't like having their eyes glaze over at this point, saying, "Okay, this was the start of interesting, and now there's so much minutia." And I promise them it's not it's not really that complicated. I want to kind of keep it. I want to keep things really really simple. But essentially, on the product page, your product description to me is where the magic happens. So I want to draw as much attention to the product description. And then once I have drawn their attention to the description, I want to tell them a story that is so compelling that I look at it as almost like a court case where I am a lawyer that is representing my client. The buyer is the ultimate judge. And so I need to bring forth an argument for the judge. And so that's what the product description does. It's essentially making that argument. And we are framing that argument around those nine dimensions that we just dis- we just discussed yeah. earlier okay um that's what I w- that's how i would focus on converting the first time buyer okay have you got um and this is just a question that's come to my mind really i uh, have you got an example of a website that's doing this well that maybe people could go and have a look at uh i mean i can, the only examples i you know i mean i would i mean I, I don't, the answer is, I, I, you know, this is a question that has come up a couple of times. I actually don't spend enough time studying what other marketers are doing with their pages. I don't think there's a perfect example of a product page, except for the pages that we've worked on where we do apply all nine tactics. Um, so I, so I can certainly link to, I mentioned baking steel earlier on the call, their product page perfectly encapsulates this process and we've tested it. So this is, you know, th- this is something we've AB tested on their website, uh, but I don't have another example of, you know, um, they don't, I don't have an example to share right now. No, no, but that's if I fine. Think uh, yeah, yeah. But so I'm going to, if I Google baking steel, I'm curious to see their, their page come up and have a look at it. So that's right. Rishi, listen, I feel like I could go on. I've got thousands of questions, um, but I'm I'm aware that at some point we have to end the, the podcast. It's been an absolute treat to to talk to you about all of this, and I'm sure that there are people like me listening, going, "Goodness me, I would love to connect with you more around this topic." So, how do people connect with you? How do people reach you? I'm pretty active, more so than I should be, than that's healthy on LinkedIn. So if any of your listeners are on LinkedIn and they search for my name, Rishi, R-I-S-H-I, last name R-A-W-A-T, you will find me. Um, I also have a newsletter where, here's, here's my sales pitch for the newsletter. I study 80 e-commerce websites every two weeks. Um, and it's just part of my job. I need to look at, I need to look at what other marketers are doing. Mm-hmm. And, um, what happens is in that process, I discovered these little nuggets of insight, these really clever little things that some marketer somewhere has done for a small little website in some corner of the world. And I look at it and I say, this is pure genius. Mm. And I take a screenshot of it. And what I do is then once a week, um, every Monday morning, I share some of those insights based on buyer psychology with my subscribers. And I send a screenshot with quick notes and essentially it's a swipe file and you mm-hmm. can just take that idea and apply it to your website. Um, so if you're interested in those kind of ideas, I would say head over to my website, which is frictionless one word dash commerce.com forward slash join. Um, and there you will find my newsletter sign up link uh, page and you can sign up. And then every Monday 
you also will be waking up to a little bit of wisdom. That's that I'm, I'm signing up right now. Uh, frictionless-commerce.com forward slash join to get that. Um, and of course, we will link to all of these things which Rishi has talked about in the show notes as well. So if you uh, if you can't remember any of these links, just head on over to the show notes and we'll send those out to you. Um, you can get all of that there, no problem. Rishi, listen, it has been an absolute joy. It has been an absolute pleasure to have this conversation with you. Thank you so much for joining us uh, in this episode of the e-commerce podcast. Uh, It's been brilliant. Uh, Really, really appreciate your time. It was great being here. Thanks, Matt. No problem. Thanks, Rishi. Well, let me just uh, click here. Wasn't that fantastic? Now, I just... (laughs) <laughs> I don't like if you're like me you will have taken copious amounts of notes and your brain is kind of going at a million miles an hour going I've got so many ideas of how I can implement this but like Rishi said start with those two things start with your product page and start with the discoverability of your key products uh, and just see where it leads you to and of course you can always reach out to Rishi you can always connect with him I'm sure he would be more than delighted to reach out and have a conversation with you he's such a cool guy super generous with his time and wasn't he super, super valuable? Uh, didn't he offer some super, super value with the content he was giving? I mean, wow. So a big thanks to my uh, very special guest tonight, Rishi. Loved it, loved it, loved it. You know what? I always say this. Uh, my aim uh, whenever I speak to a guest is to always find some real practical nuggets that I can use on my own e-commerce websites and my own e-commerce businesses. And I got a whole bunch out. I really enjoyed those nine triggers uh, and trying to understand how that's going to work. And so uh, I am definitely going to be checking the discoverability uh, rate that he talked about on my best-selling products. That's what we're going to be doing tomorrow. So uh, what about you? Let us know what you're going to be doing. Uh, and I hope you got some great stuff out of this too. And if you did, then I would appreciate it. Obviously, if you could rate the show on iTunes or even share it out so that we can connect with more folks around the world. As I said a few seconds ago and at the start of the show, all of the notes, the links and even a transcript to tonight's show will be available for free uh, and you can get them uh, at ecommercepodcast.net forward slash 54. No email address required. You can just go and you can just look at those and just read the transcripts are awesome because you, you, you can just read through uh, and, and just sort of remind yourself of all the great things that uh, came out of the show so all that's left for me to say is thanks for listening make sure you come back whoops I smacked my computer make sure you come back next week as I'm going to carry on interviewing some more fab guests just like Rishi uh, on how and we can learn how we can grow and develop our own e-commerce business gets lots of great tips out of it so do come and join us make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast from and of course if you are on facebook or youtube do connect with us on those channels as well because we do live stream out the recording of the podcast it goes out live and you can come and watch you can ask your questions uh, you can join in the conversation to your heart's content so uh, do check us out on those channels as well uh, i think that's everything from me uh, my name is matt Edmondson. thanks for watching uh, thanks for listening to the e-commerce podcast and we'll be back again next week where i'll see you then you've been listening to the e-commerce podcast with matt Edmondson. join us next time for more interviews tips and tools for building your business online.